Hi, New Legacy Linden. This is Ann Johnson, the lead pastor of our home church, and I am so glad to be sharing the very last message of our mini-series for July called Summer Slowdown, Creating Space for Spiritual Growth. It has been such an honor and a pleasure to lead our church through unprecedented times, and by lead, I really mean it. It's an honor and a privilege that we get to do this together. Uh, You have been so gracious and kind as we navigate this pandemic, and I am so grateful. Before I get started into our last sermon in this mini-series, I wanted just to say thank you for your generous tithes and offerings to our home church. If New Legacy Linden is a place you call your church community, then we continue to invite you to give through www.newlegacylinden.com. We've been able to give generously and meet the needs of the people in our community during this time. If you haven't started giving and you would like to give, you can see on the slides the instructions or you can just go to our website and it's very clear from there. So before I start into the sermon on worship, I would love to take a moment to pray. Jesus, you are so good. You are so, so good. And we are grateful that we get to live in response to what you have done in our lives. Lord, I pray that I would not get in the way of what you want to speak through me today. Lord, I pray that as we talk about something as fundamental as worship, would you challenge us, Lord, in the parts of our heart and our lives that do not bring glory and honor to you. God, I thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness. Even in the midst of trials, you are good. Your goodness is not dependent on our circumstances. It is your goodness that gives us the grace and the power and the boldness to walk through circumstances, difficult circumstances, with faith and joy and peace. I thank you for New Legacy Linden and our listeners. It is such an honor, Lord, to do kingdom work. So thank you. And I pray all this in your name. Amen. So today I am wrapping up our mini series on worship. And this was something that honestly I asked um, a worship pastor in Linden to teach for me. He wasn't able to teach because I almost felt like I needed a professional worship pastor to talk about their understanding and experience with worship in the American Christian church. And when he said no, I knew immediately that I needed to step in, that I wasn't supposed to find somebody else to teach our church on worship, but I needed to step in and teach on worship. And this is such a vast topic, just like creating the spiritual discipline of being in the word of God, just like creating the spiritual discipline of like cultivating a prayer life, just like the spiritual discipline of Sabbath, the discipline of making your life a a space of response to the reverence and goodness of God, which is exactly what worship is. It is so vast. And so I'm not even going to pretend like we will get through it all. But what I would encourage you 
to do is to take time that we would take for a church gathering, set that time apart to reflect on the questions that I'm going to be asking at the end um, in regards to this message. And I pray that it will challenge you as much as it has challenged me when it comes to worship and creating space and nurturing the spiritual discipline of a life of worship. So one of the things that I thought would be really helpful to start the sermon off was I asked um, pastors in the Assemblies of God in one of the Facebook groups um, that I am a part of, what is the best way you have heard someone describe worship? And really, it was a mixed bag of responses. So I chose a few. So here's some of the quotes. We should connect on the we should connect on the idea of worship, sacrifice, and dying daily. That those ideas are not separate, but they're actually connected. Another one, worship is telling God how much you love him. How you do that is between you and God. Worship is when your heart says, I love you, God. That means worship can be singing, dancing, or helping others, or cooking, or even cleaning a toilet. As long as you are doing it because of your love for Jesus. Worship is an admiration of God, and we can express this through many different forms. I'll add mine in there. Worship is response to who God is and what he has done in creation, including the creation of me and my life in Christ. So I loved the responses that I got from all these pastors of the best way they have heard worship being described. So I asked them also, what is the most damaging thing you have learned about worship? And I could honestly relate with so many of these. The first person said that worship should make me feel good. Another one, worship is singing and visually participating in a service. That worship ushers in the presence of God as if the presence of God requires us to do something. Another one, most damaging was the mentality that it is just the Sunday song service and not a constant daily act. Another one, most damaging thing I've learned and had to unlearn about worship. That worship ushers in the presence of God. Ushers in the presence of God. Surprise. He never left. And you know, for myself, I got radically, like just encountered Jesus when I was in college. And I got, I started going to a church that was very charismatic. Always standing up. Always raising your hands. Always clapping. Always really loud always enthusiastic, which totally align. If you, you can be with me for a hot minute to know, oh, wow, like that, it, I could see on totally being in that kind of environment. And Riley didn't grow up in the same Christian environment. He went and was raised in a church that was more reserved in their expression of worship. And so when we started dating, it was this really interesting meshing of 
who we are, how we worship. And in my mind, the most damaging thing I learned being in certain environments was that worship is singing and that worshiping God was all these physical expressions participating in service. And one time we were at a church and the pastor and we were singing and the pastor looked at Riley and he was like, are you going to clap? And my husband, my amazing husband, looked at him and said, I could clap or I can sing. I cannot do both. And being married to someone like Riley, I have learned, like he has taught me more about worship because I I saw embedded into the very character of who he is, that worship was not limited to singing out loud, clapping your hands, raising your hands up. It was not about all these things outwardly that we do, but it is first and foremost an overflow of who we are. And you see, worship is a response. It is an, by definition, it is an expression of reverence and adoration of God. But we can also worship other things. It would be the expression, the giving of life, the adoration of something or someone. It is, but worship in biblical context. It means the expression of reverence and adoration of God. Throughout the biblical narrative, we see God constantly addressing idolatry, which is the worship of other things before God himself. But we see that worship is this act that is flowing and this life that is flowing from a place of gratitude for what Christ has done and recognition of what he has done in our lives. It is a response. It is is, it is as if our life is a reaction to God's action, that we are living in response to the character and goodness of God himself. And so I was studying and looking and researching this idea of worship. And I found these four scriptures that stood out to me as scenarios of worship that I want to share with you. Because, like I said, throughout the biblical narrative, you see this theme of worship. You see the people of God worshiping. You also see the people of God falling away. You see people worship in different expressions and in different places. I felt like it would be so important, excuse me, to take a moment to even dive deeper into just a surface level look at worship throughout the biblical text. And so the first one, what you see is you see the worship of people in response to God. At first it was in the tabernacle. And then when the tabernacle became a temple built by King Solomon, they worshiped in there. But because of the invasion and destruction of the temple, not once, but twice, that one singular physical temple wasn't there. Then you see the building of synagogues. And then going forth, you see synagogues, but then you see the coming of Jesus. So, And then you see how people responded to Jesus when he set them free, when he healed them. And then in John, which is that, that fourth scripture that I want to dive into, in John 4, you have this interaction between Jesus and a Samaritan woman where he talks to her about what true worship is. 
we see in the Old Testament, it was very centric to the temple. That families would go into the temple, families, and there would be times, uh, I think it was about four times a year when adult men would go into the temples, but to offer sacrifice, to participate in what was going on in the temples. If their families could come, they would come, but there was definitely a centrality around this physical place. But you would also see families encouraged to work to teach their children about worship at home. And so right now in my yearly um, Bible study, I'm trying to read through the Bible through a year. I'm in Chronicles, which you know is a real hoot. And we're going through, it was in First Chronicles where um, David wants to go be gung-ho and build the temple. And God was like, no, it will not be you who will build the temple. It will be your son. And so you see in First Chronicles 28, 9 through 10, this is this exchange between David, a father, and his son, who will do this great thing. So David says to Solomon in verse 9, And Solomon, my son, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and knows every um, plan and thought. If you seek him, you will find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. So take this seriously. The Lord has chosen you to build a temple as his sanctuary. Be strong and do the Work. This is possibly my favorite exchange and story of David because it shows the heart of a father and it really reflects the heart of what Jewish parents were, were encouraged to raise their children and they were encouraging their children to be taught the law and understand the significance of it, their practices, their rituals. It was all tied to this idea of teaching their children the importance of meditation, law, worship. So here you see David encouraging his son to lean into worshiping by knowing the God of their ancestors intimately. Because when you worship God, you serve God. It is hand in hand. And it requires action on our behalf because it requires us to seek God and in response worship him. Because when we are seeking him, we will find him. And we will be in awe and in adoration of his goodness and of who he is. So you see David encouraging his son to worship God. And even before the addressing of what he must do to build the temple as God's sanctuary, he first must in his heart worship before he can then work with his hands. In Psalms, you see worship, Psalm 66, 4, verse 4, everything on earth will worship you. They will sing your praises, shouting your name in glorious songs. Throughout Psalms, you see this, this beautiful imagery of all creation 
worshiping God, that even if we do not cry out as created beings in worship of God, the trees and the, the stones and the earth itself will cry out in worship, that all things created by God are meant to worship God himself because being created by him our life is then in response to him and in response to him we must recognize that there is reverence that this holy god this beautiful creator loves us so much that the only way to live and act and speak is to respond in worship. I was amazed at how many pastors shared that the most damaging thing they have ever learned about worship was that worship was just singing. You see, singing is a form in which you can worship God, but it's not the form. It is not the singular form. It is a way, not the way. Psalms show that singing is a part of it. It is not the only thing. So you see, all of earth is crying out and pointing to God. That I think as Christians, we are failing to see the vastness, if we can even begin to comprehend that, of who God is when we think that science does not confirm faith. That science is in direct opposition to faith. Everything that we are seeing right now and how the American church is responding to the pandemic, my friend made a point. He was like, are you surprised that they are responding this way? We have spent years on years in the American church trying to ignore the power of science because we are not confident that science is confirming what we know to be true. So are you surprised that people are willing to ignore the years of study and expertise from people who've given their life for science? To listen and acknowledge the random post of people who barely pass biology. The church, for some reason, has been so opposed to science without recognizing that science confirms what we know to be true, that there is a holy creator. And we, as his created, are meant to live in response to him. That all earth, all creation is crying out and singing out and worshiping God. And we are to partake in that. Y'all, that could have been a separate sermon. But I'm going to continue. We see Luke. So let's go to the Old New Testament. Luke 17, 15, 16, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus's feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Worship overflows from a heart of gratitude that when you have recognized that Jesus has done something so great and magnificent in your life, that Jesus loves you so much. There is a gratitude that flows from that and in our life of worship, some of the most worship 
light-oriented person, and I'm not saying singing, but I'm saying their entire life is pointing to God and how they love people and how they love their friends, their family, and how they do their job. All of it. If I, if I, when I stop and I look at their lives, what I see is a heart of gratitude, a thankfulness. And I'm not just saying thankfulness for these large, amazing things like salvation, but thankfulness even for the fact that they get to wake up another day, thankfulness for the fact that there's food on their table, thankfulness that they have shoes on their feet, the people who are the most grateful for the things in their life. I think that that shows us that there is a direct correlation from a, a light, a heart of gratitude feeds into this life of worship. When Throughout the New Testament, when people were healed, restored, set free by Jesus himself, their response was gratitude. They would fall on their face and they would thank him. They would worship him. They would be in awe. They were, in, they were recognizing and revering this Jesus. You see, today... I I this I promise this will make sense. Today, I reorganized my office so that my back was no longer facing a wall. You see, anytime I sit anywhere, I tend to always have my back to a wall. When I go in a restaurant, it really I used to have a lot of anxiety about not being able to see the door. At work, I would reorient so that my back was always against something because I never wanted somebody to surprise me. I never wanted to be snuck up on. And it really was rooted in my childhood where I never felt safe. So a a form of protection was to always have my back against a wall so nobody could hurt me. It was as a survival mechanism. But today I was sitting at my desk and I just felt like Jesus said, on you are healed. You are set free. And so I, I reorganized my desk so that my back could face the door. And I texted my husband and I said, I'm not that girl anymore. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to just think about survival because I am healed. And I gave thanks to God. And I worshiped God because he healed me and I am grateful for it. You see, when we encounter the very holiness of who God is and how he lovingly calls us to step into the place of who he desires us to be, gratitude flows from that exchange. And where gratitude flows, worship flows. Acts 2.46. Oh, surprise. Actually, I had five verses, but I wanted, or five sections that I wanted to share. But Acts 2, it said they worshiped together in the temple each day, met in home for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Everything we do at house church 
It, it rests on our four pillars of shared meal. Biblical teaching, so the reading of God's word, fellowship, and prayer. If you ever want to know why we do what we do at House Church, read Acts 2. But this this scripture stood out to me as I was praying and researching for the sermon. It said they worshipped in the temple each day. It did not stop at worship in the temple, but it was over meals. And they shared those experiences with great joy and generosity. You see, for a Christian, when we have chosen to follow Christ and we encounter the extravagance and loveliness and power of who Jesus Christ is, something happens in our life where we are filled with joy and generosity because what we recognize is we are living and existing in kingdom. That we want to worship. We want to continue to pour out. We want to continue to invite people in. We want to continue to share the goodness of who God is in our lives. Because it is a response to what he has done. That worship is a response. It is a reaction. That we do not limit ourselves to just worshiping once a day. But it is in every part of our life. And it is as simple as inviting people in for a shared meal. Sometimes I wonder how we have made it so complicated, how we have made following Christ so complicated. We have made worship complicated. It's like we want to create formulas of what, okay, this is what worship looks like. This is what giving looks like. This is what church looks like. And they all fall into these neat little categories. But I have a surprise for you. Nothing in the church is as neat as our formulas because it is people and people are messy. If you don't like messes, you probably won't like the church. But we have overcomplicated something as simple as living a life in response to the holiness and power of who God is. We make worship complicated and we try to narrow it down and put it in strict boundaries that this is worship. So raise your hands and sing real loud. One of my least favorite parts of a church gathering is the statement right before a worship singer sings that says, now let us worship. Because I'm thinking the whole freaking time is worship. It didn't start with a microphone and a lyric and a harmony. To be perfectly honest, I couldn't even tell you what a harmony is. But it starts from my heart. It flows out into my hands. And it is a response out of a place of gratitude, adoration, and reverence for my holy God. My heart is that we would continue to remove religious complications and hurdles of what it means to actually live a life with Jesus. That it is actually a lifestyle. So we see this in John 4, 20 through 26. And this is an exchange that Jesus has with the Samaritan woman at a well. And in your mind, you brought like, I just want, I just, I, I could easily just, boom, go through these verses. But it's so important that we talk about context. At House Church, we say context is key. That it is so important to understand context. 
And because this is really the where I'm, I am focusing on the most, because this is where Jesus says exactly what worship is, it is important here that I give context. So Jesus, in the Gospel of John, is traveling. He's doing miracles. He's having all these encounters. He's having all these confrontations with religious people because religious people really like to confront Jesus. They had eyes, but they could not see. They have ears, but they could not hear. So he goes in the middle of the day out, and he encounters. In John 4, John talks about this, writes about this. He goes out and he encounters a woman at the well. She was a Samaritan woman, broad daylight. That was when they went out to get water. And he, as a Jew, was at this well alone with this Samaritan woman. And you're probably thinking, that's not a big deal. It's like walking into a coffee shop. There's only one other customer in there. That was not the case. You see, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. Like, they were not homies and cronies. The Jews, in fact, would rather travel a longer distance to fully avoid the spaces where the Samaritans live. They would rather walk around Samaria and take longer than to cut through to get to their destination. That their conflict between Jews and Samaritans lasted for centuries. Some sources say that when the Jews came back to Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity, the Samaritans offered to help them rebuild their temple, and they said, no, nah, hard pass. When the Samaritans built their temple at Mount Gerizim, some sources say that it was the Jews that destroyed it. There was such this deep tension and dislike, maybe even hatred between these two groups. So, it would, so this experience of Jesus as a Jew at a well, mid like day, broad daylight with this Samaritan woman, that that should have been a shock. Like that needs to make us stop. Be like, whoa, Jesus is about to do something. In Luke, Jesus healed a Samaritan. He just didn't reserve what he was doing for the Jews. He was healing those who were willing to experience the very truth of who he is. So here Jesus is in um, John 4 verses 20 through 26. So tell me, why is it that you, Jews, insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? Well, we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped. Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father at this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed, it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. 
When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Can I just say, wow, six verses? I could spend hours talking about these six verses, but I won't. I'll spend an hour. I'm just kidding. I've been really working hard to keep these sermons for like, or these messages for like 30 minutes. So, you know, Jesus and the Samaritan woman, they have this encounter. You can tell the Samaritan woman by how she's asking Jesus. She's kind of like, whoa, why are you talking to me? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You know exactly why we don't get along or why we shouldn't get along. We worship in these different spaces. Jesus, in verse 22, just says, you know very little about the one you worship. While we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes to the Jews. He creates a distinction of you and us. But here's what I love. After that, in verse 23, he says, but a time is coming. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, the Father is looking for those who will worship him. You see, he says there is a time coming. It was in verse 21. He goes, it won't matter anymore. Her first question to him is like, why do you guys insist that the only place to worship is here when we love God and we are worshiping here? He says, there, it, there's coming a time. It's actually here now where it won't matter anymore. The physical place in where in you worship. It is here that Jesus says, boom, mic drop. Where we worship doesn't matter. Because it is all about how we worship. That is what matters. For God is spirit and he is looking for true believers who is worshiping in spirit and truth. Can I say that should make us stop? Like, okay, okay. What does it actually mean to worship in spirit and in truth? What is, what is the writer of the gospel of John saying when he says that God is spirit? See, in that statement alone, Jesus is setting up the divinity of God, that God is not a spirit to go in line with what people believe were all the other spirits or all the other gods out there. He is spirit. Boom. Period. Divinity. Deity. So maybe deity is a better word than the divinity. He is divine. He's the singular God. He is, and I am. He is, and I am the Messiah. God is looking for those who worship in spirit and in truth. What is interesting is while I was researching, there are some sources that said in spirit is referencing to the Holy Spirit. And in other sources, it's, it says that it is, it is not a reference to the Holy Spirit, but it is more of this idea of this alignment. That it is the, it is talking about when one must worship, not simply outwardly by being in the right place and taking up the right attitude, but it's also the spirit of your life, your heart, your, who you are. That the combination of spirit and truth points to the need for a complete sincerity 
and a complete reality in how we actually interact and approach and respond to who God is, that it is so important to point out that in this concluding verse that God is seeking this from his worshipers, that it is not simply just a worship where it is limited to one physical place one time a week in this one way, i.e. maybe just singing. But because who he is, he is seeking the best for his people and the best for his people is a life of worship, not just a time and a moment locked into a physical space of worship, that it is in the entirety of who we are. See, the tr- and in truth, truth is not relative here. Truth here is the teaching of Jesus that we are worshiping and responding and aligning with the truth and the teaching of who Jesus is and what is captured in the very personhood of who Jesus is. That when we are worshiping in spirit and in truth, there is an alignment in our spirit for God is spirit. There's an alignment. There's a space that is connecting. That to worship in spirit is an entirety, the deepest parts of who we are is living in reverence and adoration of who God is. That it's just not about being in a physical place at a physical time, doing a physical thing. It is the entirety of the human heart. To worship in truth is to worship in light of what is true. Again, not relative. It is the teaching of Jesus. It is the person of Jesus. So when true worshipers are worshiping the one true God, it is a response to truth. It is a lifestyle, not a moment. It flows from a heart of gratitude, understanding that God has given us the gift of life and time. And with those things, we live our life that even the gift of life and time stems from God. So Jesus in this interchange with a Samaritan woman, he lays down, it's not about where anymore. It is about how. It is about how we are living our lives. Can I just say that the most captivating believers that I know are those who are living out a life of worship. They have not regulated their worship and formulated their worship to a time and a place and a way. But it is it, it is just like overflowing from their life every part of who they are and how they live, how they speak, how they act in their neighborhoods is an act of worship, pointing people to God. Because here's the thing about worship, even when we are singing, it should be pointing to God, understanding, adoring, revering the very character and the who God is. And that can't be bound to a church service. That can't be bound to a church building. It is meant to be in everything that we do. So I have these questions that I want you to reflect on. 
What is the best way you have heard worship? What is the most damaging thing you have learned about worship? What does worship look like in your life? Who or what do you worship? As I prayed in preparing this sermon and been praying for our church, I think there is no better time than now for us to cultivate a lifestyle and nurture a lifestyle that is a life of worship. Most people will not go back into their church buildings, into their seats, into their pews, into their rows for a long time. There are mega churches already deciding that they will actually stay online until the new year. If you want to hear a really great response from a church, mega church that's doing that, look up Andy Stanley. He recently just made an announcement about how they were not gathering in person into that physical space until the new year. There's something about worship that is resonating deep within me that it is not where we worship, it is how we worship. And I understand, girl, sorry, I'm, I'm like talking to you like I'm talking to a friend where I'm like, girl. But is it now the time for us to learn it is how we worship because we can't worship together in a physical space? Is now not the perfect time for us to nurture our spiritual disciplines so we can come out of this pandemic as stronger Christians living a life that points people to Jesus? Is now not the time? Because again, it is not where you worship, it is how you worship, it is not how many minutes a day. You pray, it is every moment entrenched with a communion with God. It is not about how fast you read your Bible. It is the practice of sitting and soaking in the truth and revelation of the word of God itself and having that actually change your life. There's no point to reading your Bible if you're not applying truth as Christians. is now not the time to recognize that God can do more in our rest than we can do in our work, is now not the time. Will you pray with me? God, you are so good, and I thank you for your goodness and your mercy that is abundant. I thank you, Lord, that you are giving us opportunities every single day to experience you, but sometimes it feels like we have eyes and we cannot see, we have ears and we cannot hear. We are missing out on on kingdom opportunities because we are too distracted to see you and worship you. We are too distracted to see the people that you have placed in our life to love and minister to. God, forgive us. Help us in this season grow in our love and adoration of you. Reveal yourself to us that will knock us back on our butts. And the only way to respond to those revelations is worship. God, I thank you that in the midst of this, 
Your spirit is not locked into a physical place. That the truth of scripture is not locked and read only by some, but it is available to all. And I thank you for that in Jesus name. Amen.